Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Jonathan Smoke, the Chief Economist for Realtor.com, the official site of the National Association of Realtors. Smoke is a 20-year veteran of the real estate industry and has held a number of executive roles throughout the industry. Prior to working for Realtor.com, he served in key executive roles for Hanley Wood, an information and marketing services company serving the residential, commercial design, and construction industries. He's also an entrepreneur with business ownership and consulting experience and has a master's in business administration from the University of Texas at Austin. He joins us today to discuss the October National Housing Trend Report and help to keep us up to date with today's changing real estate marketplace. Now, let's welcome Jonathan Smoke to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. Jonathan, welcome back. I always love having you as my co-host. Um, it's, uh, I was just, uh, you know, we were chatting a bit before the call, and you do have a very effective way of explaining what could be very boring topics in an interesting way, you know, and I appreciate that because that's a true talent. So let's drill down on this October housing report. What specific things have changed since the last filing of the report? Well, October was mainly a continuation of trends we've already been discussing. Uh, discussing. Uh, so at the, you know, the headline, I would say list prices are holding steady uh, and inventory remains uh, very tight. Uh, so we saw basically no month-to-month change in our median list price, and we saw that still up uh, around 8% year over year. Uh, and then on the inventory side, uh, we saw the, the typical month-to-month seasonal decline, but in October that also tipped us into uh, listing counts that are beneath the level that we had last year, almost 5%. Uh, beneath what it was the year before. So you can conclude from that that the tight market is even tighter now, and that's also evidenced by the median age of inventory fell another 2% uh, in October, and I'm sure uh, most of your agents have been seeing that. Uh, there's We've been in this tight supply condition uh, all, uh, most of the year. So what from the report surprised you? Is there anything else that, you know, like when you're going through the data, putting it together, anything that really kind of jumped out at you, like, and wow, I wasn't expecting that? Or, you know, maybe subtle surprises, if not big ones? Well, a few things with our specific report. We actually chose to highlight what are the markets that are bucking the trend. And when you boil that down to those markets, it really isn't all that surprising. It, it simply made sense. Uh, let me just list what those markets were and let you see if you see the common theme. Uh, so starting first in uh, South Florida, you've got Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and West Palm Beach, um, all having uh, trends, positive uh, trends uh, in inventory rather than declines. Uh, you have their sister over on the Gulf side with Naples uh, doing the same thing, Jacksonville a little further north but still in Florida. Then over in Arizona, you've got Tucson and Phoenix building inventory, and in Texas, you had uh, Corpus Christi uh, building an inventory. And it didn't take a lot of statistical analysis to 
conclude that, gee, warm markets um, can buck the seasonal trends uh, when we start entering the fall months. Uh, but also when I dug into the data, they also share another thing in common. Uh, they all uh, have, all but Phoenix have a smaller uh, percentage of uh, households that are not married families with kids. Uh, so in other words, all of those markets tend to be warmer and therefore don't have issues with people wanting to move in like November and December when there might be a foot of snow in some places in the country. Uh, but then they also have have more households that frankly aren't paying attention to the school uh, calendar. So if your agents are in those markets, chances are uh, they're seeing substantially different data than, than they hear in the news. Well, another uh, commonality amongst all those markets are that they were really hard hit during the recession and that they've been bought up a lot by investors. So I'm curious, the increase in inventory, do you have any data that would support that there's more investors uh, putting properties for sale? We had Rick Sharga on um, last week, and we were talking about, or I asked him the question, does he see any anecdotal data that would lead him to believe that the investors who you know basically helped to turn the market around, the institutional investors, whether they're maybe souring to some of their investments and starting to put properties uh, for sale in any kind of you know meaningful way. And he said he didn't see anything. Are you seeing any reasons to believe that's true? Yes, I'll, I'll report the same thing. I'm not, uh, we're not seeing any evidence uh, of investors doing that. And part of it is also I, I really think it's a bit early, uh, especially for some of the larger funds, because some of the initial purchases that they made in 2010 and 2011 had – multi-year holding periods uh, for, mm -hmm. for the properties they purchased. That along with they have a fund that's, invest, that's expecting them to continue to return uh, income, um, you know, the rents that they collect. And so I think those things kind of are working together to, to say we probably uh, are a, a bit away from the days that the investors will start trying to sell homes. But on the positive side, of course, most of them have seen uh, very positive home price appreciation. Um, you know, the, the typical uh, distressed home that was bought by an investor uh, over the last four years was bought between a 40 to 60% discount on a price per square foot basis. So with all of those markets turning around and with most, almost every market in the country indeed uh, now recovering uh, prices, uh, then you've got the scenario that, that there is more cash for them to potentially uh, sell at some point, but I, I don't think uh, you're going to see that happen in, in the immediate future. I read something on Bloomberg that another reason these guys are holding on to their investments is they have no place to put the money. They don't know where they'd reinvest it. So that's kind of that's interesting. Right. You know, Yeah, I mean, the housing has worked out to be such a great uh, buy for them that they can't really, you know, there's nothing else that's screaming huge opportunity like housing did back in the, you know, pits of the recession. Um, right. So, yeah, we're going to talk more. I, I, hopefully you'll come back beginning in January of next year, and we'll talk more about what your projections are when you get the, uh, your next housing report together. Um, so if you don't mind, let's pivot. Last time we had you on, you were kind of teasing us about the information that you were planning on presenting at NAR about Generation Y and their buying trends. And uh, we had a lot of positive response. Folks wanted more information on that. I'm sure at NAR, when you presented that information, people were, I'm sure, busily taking notes. So when – I wrote down three questions. Uh, when do we expect to see these guys having a meaningful impact as far as realtors are concerned, right? When are they entering the market to start buying in a, in a way that we'll be able to say, wow, that is huge, kind of like baby boomers downsizing or baby boomers buying 
you know, second and third homes, those types of trends. When are these, obviously they're renting and there's a lot of rental movement, a lot of investment funds building these big apartment complexes in essence. When are these folks going to be migrating towards the American dream in the traditional sense? Well, that's really a trick question because the answer is they already are. Um, the, the, the formal presentation I, I made at NAR was, was titled Millennials on the Cusp uh, because I truly think that we are just seeing the beginning of the wave uh, that will be a tremendous wave uh, to try to surf on and not hopefully be hammered by. Um, <laughs> some I- interesting stats. So uh, according to our analysis, two-thirds of household formations over the next five years are going to be with millennials. Uh, almost the exact same number is what millennials represent in the first-time buyer segment. Um, so the one piece that I think we all can agree has not been normal in this recovery uh, has been the presence of, uh, you know, the normal uh, 40% or so of the market uh, represented by first-time buyers. So the millennials are key to seeing that. Um, but what you really find when you parse markets around the country is that there's an extremely tight correlation between the millennials' home ownership rate and affordability um, because one of the things that most of the millennials have in common is that they fall in income buckets and they fall in credit score ranges that basically says uh, they need a mortgage and it's going to be tight qualifying them, um, and that's why you, you basically see them getting over those hurdles more easily in affordable places. So that. While you may see the headline number that the government is reporting that the home ownership rate for 25 to 34 year olds is at 37 percent, which is a bit below uh, the normal uh, traditional level uh, that's in the low 40s, uh, the reality is it's 23 percent in Los Angeles, uh, it's 56 percent um, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it's 71 percent in Decatur, Indiana. Um, so there, there are a lot of millennials. Uh, purchasing homes already. Uh, in fact, NAR reported at the convention that 14% of this year's sellers were millennials. Um, so we're, we're already seeing them active. The issue is they represent 30% of the population uh, and only about 19% of the households today. So a lot of the growth uh, that we're going to be seeing is simply uh, millennials maturing into having uh, households um, and then owning uh, of course, um, and I think well. Well, l- l- let me jump in here because you just said something that interests me. So you said they represent roughly 100 million Americans. So of the 200 roughly a million Americans that are left, of those, uh, I would have to think that a good bit of those aren't really in the buying and selling cycle. Like we're not talking about, you know, 330 Americans that are buying and selling real estate. It's obviously a percent of that. So when I hear you say it's a third of all Americans, if I heard you correctly. You're talking yeah. about hypothetically within the foreseeable future, millennials being a bulk by a huge margin of all transactions. Is that correct? That is that is correct. Um, and you did the math pretty pretty well. It's 90 million um, is the current uh, current estimate. So they're they're definitely the largest generation, bigger than boomers by about 10 million uh, today. Um, and because they're just getting into the home ownership cycle. Uh, which, you know, traditionally 40% of the market is first-time buyers. Um, So they are going to command uh, uh, the largest cohort percentage 
probably for the next 15 years, um, if not longer, especially when you think that, well, after they go through the first-time side, they'll be sellers as well as, as, well as buyers. Um, so it's, it's tremendous. Um, we, I, I dug into multiple surveys that, uh, that we conducted, that NAR conducted, uh, some syndicated research and some research that BDX, one of the uh, a joint venture of, of MOVE and BHI that does uh, the majority of the new home listings in the country. Uh, and one of their studies looked more at shoppers rather than buyers. And if you line up the NAR data with the, um, the BDX shopper data, you basically see that already 37% of this summer's shoppers were millennials but they aren't quite converting at the same rate that everybody else is. Um, and it looks like that they made up roughly 26% um, of buyers uh, this, this summer. Um, so those percentages are likely to go up. Uh, and like, give, give, me a, give me a number. You said 26% of all buyers. I mean, just pure conjecture. Five years out, 26% of all buyers you know, in summer of 2014. It's now, say, 2020 or 19. What percent of all you know buyer side transactions will be millennials if you were if you were to venture a guess which I know economists love to do <laughs> well that should be that should be their peak years um, so right. meaning where the vast majority of them are in that are in that buying mode and they're, they'll be more mobile because your mobility uh, declines uh, with age so my guess is somewhere between 35 and 40 percent um, yeah of so agents here I'm, I'm thinking Right, no, no I, that makes sense. So I'm thinking, like, you know, a real estate agent. I'm thinking, okay, well, if I'm not really dialed into that, that means that hypothetically, I'm going to see a pretty significant decrease in the number of people that I can do a real estate transaction with if I'm not uh, really adjusting my uh, mindset to appealing to millennials. I mean, that's the bottom line. There just is going to be a declining number of the folks that a lot of us have been servicing forever, the baby boomers and whatnot, they're going to be scaling down, but at the same time, their children are going to be dialing it up. And if you're looking to be in real estate in the next five years, if you're not actively trying to pursue millennials, there's an excellent chance that you're going to find yourself struggling. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of curious. The Now, we, we've talked about this before, you and I, about the millennials buying trends, you know, they're sort of like the ones you'd kind of predict when people are young and they're buying and they don't have kids, they're buying, you know, kind of hipster apartments and condos close in. And is there, is it safe to assume that they'll start migrating out to the burbs when they have children or are you seeing any real reasons to believe they won't follow that trend? Oh, that is a fantastic question because I tried to challenge as many things as I could that fall into that domain of conventional wisdom. Right. Um, and I think that is definitely one. So two impo important perspectives. It is true that millennials out of all age cohorts are the ones that are most likely to say they have a preference for urban locations. Um, and it's now, like, right now, I mean, Jonathan, but, now, right. But, but that, but that the ones, the millennials that have an urban preference are 15% of millennials. The, the millennials who have a suburban preference is almost 70%, which is hmm. almost exactly in line with everybody else. Um, so the urbans are basically stealing from the other older people that also have a preference for rural. You don't see that with the millennials. Uh, but the reality is more than two-thirds of them are focused on the suburbs, and that's another key takeaway for both your agents and, and brokers 
um, who can think about the market and think about maybe areas uh, in the suburbs that have had a lot, um, not as much activity over the last few years uh, should have uh, increasing opportunities for activity because you've got the the millennials wanting to move in and the boomers potentially wanting to downsize or, or move out or move on to their next home. Well, seeing that they're following traditional trends, which kind of makes sense, you know, you want to, assert, you want to have a nice fenced-in backyard when you start having a family and all that good stuff, uh, it's also probably safe to assume that they're going to also want newer housing stock versus resale housing stock. So I'd have to think, unless I'm thinking of this incorrectly, and I'm sure you'll correct me, Jonathan, but new construction is going to just be off the charts huge over the next five to ten years to, you know, like mm. something we've never seen before. You're Yes, but there's some uh, caveats to that. Um, I do think that is the second trend that agents really need to be aware of, and we're going to start seeing more signs of this in 2015 as new construction starts to, uh, starts to pick up and return to more normal levels. But interestingly, um, of all the age cohorts, it's actually millennials who have um, a slightly stronger preference for existing homes. Um, some of that comes from what I would say the lack of wisdom of having owned homes before. Um, but there's a bit of it that is also valuing uh, older architecture, older established neighborhoods. Um, so that, that's interesting from two perspectives from an agent. Number one, the builders are going to have a tough time uh, selling well uh, to, to millennials. And an overwhelming majority of millennials, even higher than every other age cohort, express that they fully intend to use um, a, a realtor. Uh, and when you ask them why, on almost every variable, they score higher on, on the value that they see the realtor providing, providing them. Um, so for builders to be successful, they're going to have to change the perceptions of the millennials, and I honestly don't think they can do that um, unless the realtor's helping uh, through that well, application. But I mean, not all real, you're, you're kind of, I think, maybe so real the builders that are trying to work directly with the buyers and not involve a realtor, but I mean, it, it, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say. But if you're a builder and you're building, uh, you know, new construction that's not an outdated floor plan and whatnot, and you're welcoming agents, as a lot of the national builders do, then you know that seems to be the harmony that maybe the market's expecting. Uh, but I, I guess what I, I thought it was interesting what you said. In the surveys, you're saying that the millennials have more of a propensity to buy resale homes than new construction. That is, that's fascinating to me. But you know what? Maybe not so when you take into consideration that they're not necessarily – like when you say suburban, when you're saying suburbia, I'm wondering if we're talking about like way out in suburbia, some new subdivision, or maybe they're thinking in terms of suburbia of not like the city, right? Some of the over the outlying areas that were built in like the 50s and 60s and 70s that surround almost major cities. That must be what they're attracted to at this point. I would, that's kind of what well, I'm we, reading from what you're saying. We did we did divide it out, and there was there there was a higher percentage that fell into the closer in uh, suburban locations rather than outlying suburban um but but even still i think there's there's something interesting in that in that uh preference that millennials have uh that is going to have to be overcome for the builders to really be uh, successful on that front so you really saw some actual honest to god resistance about buying new construction i think that's fascinating i wonder why that I, is I, other than i wouldn't just, say that yeah. it's, i wouldn't say that it's necessarily resistance 
as much as lack of knowledge. Um, hmm. And so, you know, if you look, if you look, for example, I, I would argue that realtors as well um, have some issues with selling new homes um, because the MLS is not very effective uh, typically at, at, at holding the information that's germane to understanding because it's not constructed to understand you pick a lot, uh, you look at your uh, floor plan options, uh, now you can choose all these other structural options and decorating options. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a general education thing that's probably lacking, and that's basically why BDX is focusing on this space, and, and I, I think they're brilliant for, for trying to understand it and, and prepare builders to make that that jump in the future, but it, it also screams that the realtor is, is a, an extremely vital part of that process. Are you worried about the fact that the average agent in the next five years is going to be in their early 60s when, they, when they're, when, you know, with the millennials obviously being half their age? And this, that, that's a massive, massive demographic difference in just about every possible conceivable way that a, you know, baby boomer in that age group is going to think, you know, about everything, values, politics, you know, style, dress. I, you know, goes kind of goes back to, Jonathan, actually, why you were saying that us old folks need to be listening to Taylor Swift so we don't lose contact with the younger generation, you know. But, I mean, oh, no, that no, is no. going to you know, that has to be, that's going to be a, a really big challenge for a lot of agents who have maybe it's, basically be, benefited from the fact that most of the people they were selling to for the past couple of decades have been like them, and now that's, that's going to start shifting. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, honestly, for the entire housing industry um, because builders fall into the same boat, um, subcontractors of all types fall into the same boat, building product manufacturers and all their management. Uh, it's essentially dominated by uh, baby boomers. They don't even have Gen Xers um, <laughs> uh, running many of the many of the operations. Um, so. Yes, I, I think one of the ways to be effective in this space is to actually um, work with millennials and have them part of, part of your team. Part of what I presented to uh, the folks at, at the convention w was some data on media, um, because if you look at the millennial and you're advertising in the newspaper, forget about it. Um, they're not going to read it. I'm not even sure that they think that newspapers still exist. Um, but Social media, if you're not active in social media, I mean, they are off the charts on every metric that you look at social media, uh, from posting their status to reading what other people are doing to following people and liking things. Um, and it's not good enough to have a Facebook page and, and to be on Twitter. You know, you've got to be moving with, uh, with the trends. And it raises up the notch of being responsive um, to people um, and the way, you know, responding to them in the way they want to be um, communicated. And I think that's one of the bigger learning curves, and there's no better way to do it than to actually have millennials on your team uh, that naturally speak that language. I think that's a really great idea because I was about to ask you if I'm, a, you know, if I'm your typical realtor and I'm going to be in my early 60s, and I'm thinking about, you know, what people in their 60s think about them trying to do business with what's going to be a huge percent of the buying and selling population. You know, yeah, learn from what some new folks, you know, some millennial folks on your team uh, or agents in your office. But, you know, it is it does go to a lot of um, the mindset that the agent has. 
um, you know, it's funny too. People in their early 60s are going to have an inherited advantage over other younger agents. So you would think, and I, you know, doing free coaching calls on a regular basis, this is something that a lot of folks, you know, in 50s and 60s, and we have, you know, occasional coaching calls with people in their 70s. And Julie's got a uh, coaching client who's in her 80s, and they do run the risk of thinking that they're outdated artifacts. And they're forgetting the fact that their age is an advantage if they use it to an advantage by reminding these millennials this is a big buying decision and that, you know, my experience is going to go to help you make the right decision and, and all that type of thing. So opposed to looking at the huge demographic difference as a disadvantage, look, and you have to spin it as an advantage, but at the same time, as Jonathan just said, you sure as heck better be going to where they are. Um, You've got to be attracting them. Yeah, trying to fish for them really in the ponds in which they swim. And if you're not, you're probably not going to find them. But really, at the end of the day, the way to win is to definitely learn how to be a listing agent. Because if you're a listing agent and you have listings, the millennials and every other possible buyer will find you. If your mindset is just to hunt buyers, I think you're going to have a really big challenge going forward. Um, no matter, you, know, you just really got to shift your mindset towards becoming a listing agent. I don't really, that, that's the only real way that you can hedge the next five to ten years of this real estate market in your favor. Uh, if you control inventory in your marketplace, in your neighborhood, then they will seek you out and they will assume you are the expert and you will have the advantage. And to not have that mindset, frankly, it makes me a little scared for those of you who are still struggling with the idea of becoming listing agents. So that's my little soapbox for the day. I feel much better. <laughs> makes sense to me, Tim. Yeah. Well, it's also it's a mindset shift in our in our industry, which puzzles me to be honest with you there's so many agents that think that they can build these long-term careers off being buyer's agents and i suppose you can but why would you want to if you could learn how to be a listing agent it's so much better i mean honestly uh so jonathan will you come back in january to present the new information help us uh dust off the crystal ball for 2015 uh predictions you bet we'll be publishing those uh predictions uh, early in december so have me back as soon as you want, and, and we'll be able to talk to not just what our overall trends are, but even maybe dive into my favorite markets uh, in the country. That I'm actually, it's it's difficult now because there's so many markets growing and looking attractive that I'm having to look and see uh, markets that are excelling on more than one <laughs> dimension. Um, so I think I'll end up with a pretty pretty interesting, diverse list, and and I think folks will be really interested to hear about it. Well, shall we tease them a little bit like we did last time? <laughs> so I'm curious, what makes up, what does it take to be on Jonathan Smoke's favorite markets list? Well, I'm specifically looking at several different categories, and in order to even be considered um, to be on, on my top 10 for 2015, you have to excel in, in multiple ones. So I'm looking at household growth, because um, we've we've talked about how important that is. And we're clearly looking for strong price and sales uh, forecasts. Um, we're looking for new construction growth, um, because in many markets that's one of, uh, one of the things that's also been missing. Um, affordability is a dimension that some markets can't compete on, um, like the coastal markets, but in other markets affordability is actually one of their inherent strengths and why they're having a lot of growth. And then I'm going to layer also uh, where, where millennials um, are growing and where the most millennial potential is going to be because, again, I think that's going to be an enormous portion of the market going forward. And, and the markets that, are, that can excel at that, I think, uh, will be markets that are doing quite well for many years to come. 
So that's the list. Yeah. And chances are some of the markets we've been talking about this year uh, are going to land in that, but I bet there'll be a few surprises too. Well, there you go. Perfect tease. I appreciate that. So Jonathan Smoke from Realtor.com, thank you very much for being my co-host today. I sincerely appreciate it. always love having you on. Hopefully our listeners are really listening to what you and I are talking about because even though it's a nice, polite kind of surface conversation a lot of times, if you are really dialed in, especially what Jonathan was saying about um, the emerging trends, and you're thinking like a business owner, you're seeing what a huge opportunity the millennials are, and you're also probably trying to you know, think about where they're going to want to buy and what they're going to want to do. And they're here, they're buying, they're in the market, um, and uh, more so over the next five years. We're definitely at the very beginning stages of what's going to probably be the best real estate market of our lifetimes. So make sure you guys are making the most of this opportunity, putting your mindset in a place of being of service to others and learning whatever it takes um, to frankly, you know, be of service to others on the highest level by understanding all the different trends that are happening in your local market. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And Jonathan Smoke, thank you for very, uh, very much for being my co-host today. Same to you, Tim. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.